Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. Hey everyone, Ian Simpkins here, and like many of you, we're with our family, our loved ones, and we're looking to kind of follow in the ways of Jesus by slowing down a little bit, breathing deeply, simply resting and celebrating. And so uh, for this week, we're sharing some of our favorite moments from the last year, so we didn't want you to think we're trying to pull a fast one on anyone. This is just sort of what we call a a best of, and uh, so we hope that you enjoy this week some moments that we've loved from this last year doing the show, and uh, we really, really look forward to being with you again in the new year. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common, our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Oh, man, that is two crossfades two days in, in a two row. Days. That's a Christmas present right there. PJ is on a roll. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas 2019, everybody. Can you believe we made it? We made it to Christmas. Does it feel like that every year? Like, oh, my goodness, we it survived. Does. I, it, you know what always happens is it feels like <laughs> it's like Christmas starts so early. Like people are, you know. The yeah, right. And then when you get like a week out, then all of a sudden you wake up like, oh, it's Christmas morning. Like it feels like it goes slow, 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 fast. And That's how I feel. And every year, every year, Brian, like November 1, I'm like, I'm going to get ahead of yes. gift buying. And I never do. Yep. Are you the same way? Or are you like way ahead of it? You're like wrapped and ready to go, you know, Thanksgiving. So no, not at all. <laughs> I will say that my wife buys 95% of the gifts that our family gives. That percentage is probably even higher this year. My wife is crushing it, and I am... Oh, my wife has... Total failure. I mean, to be honest, my wife has bought every gift that the Fromm family is giving, <laughs> except the one going from me to her. <laughs> so that's more than 95%. But she's getting more than one, so... Wow. <laughs> I was going to say, your percentages are off yeah, a little bit on that. Yeah, but other than the gift going from me to... Other than the gift she is receiving, that she has purchased the rest of them, but... It's I love Christmas, man. Even though it's warm outside, I kind of like the warm Christmas. I don't mind it. I what, don't what, mind what it. was the meme floating around? Only in Illinois could we have a white Halloween <laughs> and a green Christmas. That's so true. I think I read and it. Easter will be totally snow. Exactly. Hail or yeah. I think it's. I read somewhere it's the first time in sixty-five years that Christmas is warmer than both Halloween and, and Thanksgiving in the same year. Man. Oh, crazy. Look at you with the And if I'm wrong about that, blame the internet, not me. <laughs> that's where it came from. But I have the world right here, so I'll just... That's like, true. Yep, yep. But Either way, I don't know what it Christmas. is, man. Yeah, the uh, Christmas light. Man, I have some terrible Christmas lights put on my tree out front. I did an awful job, and we were like way late and get but the tree But you did it. But we did it. You and did it. something about... I don't know, just the magic of all of it. And we're going to get a little bit into that again. And again, I one of the things that's really important to me, I try to be intentional about is, you know, the the nativity scene wasn't this like squeaky clean. Everyone's got like finely pressed yeah. robes on and there's like a llama with sunglasses in the back llama. popping his head. Yeah. Like it was messy and terrifying yeah. and frightening. And into the, 
the mess of all of that and a couple of young kids who are like, is this what we anticipated our life would look like? Yep. Like that is the, I don't know, that's the upside down way of the kingdom of God. I think so, yeah, so often is yeah. missed in all the shopping and calendars and meals and all the good stuff of Christmas. Yeah, but. it is certainly hard to slow down. And I feel like even as my kids get older, it's, it's harder and harder. I don't know about you, but uh, I might make you jealous by this. I try to take some time off between Christmas and New Year's. Mm. And so that's what I get most excited about. Like, I love Christmas. Don't get me wrong. The day of. Yeah. But it feels like it almost kicks off just some very intentional time with my kids when my wife, where we're not running and running to different events and I'm not trying to run to work and it just feels slower. And so I'm very excited for the next week just to kind of have some of that uh, family time. Yeah. And hopefully anyone listening, you're getting some time, whether it's family through blood or family through friends you've chosen, yep, at the very least yep. you're spending time with people that matter to you. And uh, that's kind of our hope and prayer at the show. I wanted to share a brief story though, and it's a little heavy. I'll forewarn you, uh, but it's about a, a letter that a seven-year-old boy who's living in a domestic violence shelter, um, asks Santa for something. I'm just going to read the letter that he wrote, and I wish that you all listening could see it because it's, you know, it's clearly written by a seven-year-old, and it's got a seven-year-old handwriting. Mm-hmm. But here's what he says. He says, Dear Santa, we had to leave our house. Dad was mad. We had to do all the chores. Dad got everything he wanted. Mom said it was time to leave, and she would take us to a safer place where we don't have to be scared. I'm still nervous. I don't want to talk to their kids. Are you going to come this Christmas? We don't have any of our stuff here. Can you bring some chapter books, a dictionary, and a compass and a watch? I also want a very, very, very mm. good dad. Can you do that too? Love, Blake. And I was, oh, man. When I read this note, this letter, this innocent letter from a seven-year-old kid in just unthinkable circumstances, everything that you just said, right? This, man, I'm grateful for the time off. Yeah. I spent time with family and friends. Uh I think it's always really important to remember, especially when we're celebrating God incarnate, God Emmanuel, right? That there are people often right in our own neighborhoods, our own churches who are struggling, who are hurting that for a lot of us, Christmas really is the most wonderful time of the year. But for many of us, it's quite the opposite. It's the reminder of the person that's no longer there. It's the reminder that things aren't the way that they thought they would be. And, I don't know. That's, this letter, it, simple, heartbreaking, but really struck me as, the, as a reminder to not miss the full scope and meaning of Christmas yeah. amidst all the, all the tinsel and lights. You know? Yeah, I was reading a story the other day of, uh, and I don't know, you know, we were all surrounded by people in this situation, but I don't know why it just struck me more deeply to hear or read about it this year of a, of a, a mom of a divorced family. Uh, in a divorce situation where the kids were with dad for Christmas. Hmm. And she talked about just waking up alone on Christmas morning and hmm. the loss and the death. And I was like, oh, I never even thought about that. Right. But I've got people like that in my life. That's right. Who are going to be going That through- you could name. Right? Absolutely. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And so going back to the letter that you shared from this kid, uh, the innocence of it is what's hard because it's written to Santa, right? Like, dear right. Santa. And, uh, you know, can I have a watch and a compass? But most of all, he says, can I have a really good dad? That is just heartbreaking. Yeah. That, uh, like you said, I just said uh, a couple of minutes ago, what I am most excited about for this season, for this Christmas holiday, is to be able to spend very intentional time with my kids. Right. And that's what this kid's going. He's going, I wish I had a dad who would Ugh. spend very intentional time with us. And so I think if you've got a family like that, go love your kids. Like, yeah. go be that good dad. Go be that good mom. That's but right. also remember... But that's not the case for everybody. I think bring a story like this, while heavy, can be a wonderful reminder uh, that Christmas can be hard for some people. That's right. 
And uh, we need to be supportive of those who are running these types of shelters and this and that, and mm-hmm. uh, but also prayerful, but also what can I do to be helpful uh, in this season? Well, and I've mentioned this a couple of times too. It's not nearly the same, but my parents, for as long as I can remember, Thanksgiving and Christmas, the first thing we would do is go serve at Meals on Wheels. Yeah, It was this very intentional and very strategic way of saying, hey, we're going to celebrate. We're going to eat some good food. We're going to open some presents. We're going to have some family time. But yep. first, we're going to serve. Mm. First, we're going to think of people outside these four walls yep. who are hurting, who are in need. Mm. And it was always um, it was always framed as like, this, this is what it means to be Jesus in the world. Yeah. It wasn't like, hey, this is the thing we're supposed to do. My parents were so good at this about, hey, if we're going to celebrate his birth, we're going to celebrate the kind of life he lived. Mm. Like, it's not just about thanks for coming as a baby in a manger so I can go to heaven when I die. He's like, no, no, no. He, he said, now do the same. Yep. Even even greater things he even yep. said to his disciples, right? Like that, for me, is such a such a powerful reminder that that baby didn't stay a baby, mm-hmm. right? And loved even the people that were the ones responsible yeah. for his execution. He loved friends that betrayed him. He loved alcoholics and adulterers and prostitutes and tax collectors. Like, mm. if we're going to celebrate his birth, we need to also celebrate, I think, the, ki- the kind of love that he yeah. showed to humanity. And that, again, is way easier said than done. But I think this Christmas— for me, is always a helpful reminder that oh, there's still reminder. a lot of pain in the world, and how do we kind of go about, you know? Yeah, and it doesn't need to make you feel guilty for not having this pain in your life. Right, go celebrate totally. your Christmas, love totally. it, but but like you just used the word, it's a wonderful reminder uh, to be uh, cognizant that Christmas season can be a painful time, and so how do we as Christ followers That's right. share the love of Jesus at this time to bring people hope and bring people good news of great joy? Uh, that the Bible talks about. So it's it's a great reminder. Well, and I'll just end with this, too. I uh, I dug up an old Christmas Eve sermon I gave. Gosh, this was like 10 years ago. Wow. But it's a quote from Henry Nouwen, who apparently I've liked for a while, and I just think, man, this, this Christmas 2019, I think this is a really, really beautiful reminder. He says, uh, I realize that songs, good feelings, beautiful liturgies, nice presents, big dinners, and many sweet words do not make Christmas. Christmas is saying yes to something beyond all emotions and all feelings. Christmas is saying yes to a hope based on God's initiative, which has nothing to do with what I think or feel. Christmas is believing that the salvation of the world is God's work and not mine. And yet I would add maybe that he invites us into that. That's part of what it means to be a Christmas people, to be uh, a people of resurrection. And if you're following a more church calendar, liturgical type of tradition, Today begins Christmas, mm. and now it's 12 days of beautiful, wonderful celebration and stories and meals all the way up to Epiphany on January 6th. So yep. however you celebrate, uh, we hope that you are doing it with those that you love, and we are so, so grateful to have you as our Common Good family. It's been a really, really fun year, and we're it looking forward been. to the next year. We're listening to The Common Good this Christmas right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins and Brian Fromm. We don't we don't know where he is. If you've seen him, let us know. We're starting to get really worried. But I have a very special in studio guest. I'm not going to tell you who it is yet because here's some information. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. Plus, the show is podcasted wherever you get your podcasts. But friends, maybe the best beard I've ever seen in person. My good buddy. Pastor, the Right Reverend, Ted Canaris, welcome to the show, sir. Wow, thank you so much, Ian. It's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for the beard compliment. Means I know that you're lying, but I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it truly is. It's it's really great to be here. So you really are, um, I think, one of my favorite people on our staff, and I got to sort of pseudo-interview you before you started, and I remember even when we had a conversation thinking, oh, this might be 
trouble if he and I become friends. <laughs> just simply because our sarcasm was so next level, and we just kept one-upping yeah. each other for the whole meal. Yeah, no, it was not good. I think the waitress was really worried about us <laughs> yeah. as well. We've been banned from that. In fact, they closed yeah, it down. They that's closed. how, that's how bad closed. it was. Yeah, forever. Okay, so you might be wondering, who is Ted? And uh, Ted is a lot of things. Ted is yes. a father, a husband, a hunter, yep. a sportsman, if yep. I may. But he's also the community pastor of our Downers Grove location. If you're not aware, Community Christian Church has 10 locations throughout Chicagoland, and Downers Grove is our newest location. But that's sort of like your business. I'd love, if you were just asked, like at a party, Ted, tell me about you. Like, how would you introduce yourself to someone that doesn't have any idea who you are? Well, let's start with my name. My Smart. name is Ted. Right. And I would tell them about my family. I mean, my mm. wife, Melissa, I have three little boys. Uh, for almost four year old, just in a week here, a seven year old and a nine year old, and probably just talk about them a little bit. So, which you guys like your family social media game is so <laughs> every time I see like a Canaris family photo, I'm like, man, they're doing it right. It helps to have a very good looking wife and children <laughs> that take after her. You it's a huge really, bonus. <laughs> well, you look like you should be on a billboard or a greeting card <laughs> or something every time. Like, gosh darn it. As long as I'm blurred in the background. <laughs> I usually get a lot of likes. I've been noticing they've been scrambling your face like it's an episode of Cops or yes. something. Like, also, Ted's back there. Yeah, that's somewhere. true. <laughs> you know, this new phone uh, really takes some great shots. Yeah, it's great. All right, so one of the things that people, uh, if they've been listening for any length of time, they know that uh, Brian is a church planner. Yep. Um, I've never been a church planner, and so now you've planted in a pretty unique kind of infrastructure. You're planting, but as a part of a multi-site church. Yep. And I don't know that I've ever even really asked you this question that way, but what what has that been like planting a church as a part of a bigger team? And like, what have you learned along the way as a result of all that? Yeah, I mean, I would say that it's been like a lot of things. Really? You know, it's been a very diverse and dynamic experience. Yeah. It's not always one thing, uh, but there's a lot of really amazing strengths about planting the way that we did. Uh, first of all, the support, the encouragement. Uh, the resources, hmm. also just the partnership, friendship, relationship. You know, a lot of church planners, and including Brian, have talked about just a feeling of being isolated when you start something new like oh, this. Interesting. I don't think that's unique just to the church world. I think, you know, entrepreneurs starting right. something new, a new business, you probably feel a very similar way because for the first time you're carrying a load that you yeah. just haven't carried before. Responsibility-wise, right. your future-wise, you just are carrying a lot more weight and intentionality to what you do, what you say, how you use your time and your resources. Right. So that can feel isolating at times, but I think planting as a part of a large organization mm. not only helps in terms of being able to make more impact, yeah. but it also helps in just being connected relationally. And and honestly, the relationships for me have been the lifeblood I can see that. Of, of what has energized us, I think what has made um, us successful and what has really helped us do it in a healthy way starting with my church planner friends outside of community. Right. And then that being continued through community has really been huge for me. So your situation right now, you guys meet uh, Sunday evenings yep. and there's a little bit of a story there that I find really interesting in that uh, I'd love for you just to share with our audience, like what is it like gathering at a pretty um, unorthodox time yeah. and what have been some of the opportunities, but maybe also some of the obstacles and what, what has all that been like? Yeah, for sure. I mean, initially we were planning to meet Sunday morning, just like, most churches right. start, you know, it's kind right. of the typical time. And uh, we were lined up to meet at a school in our community. And it, basically the ninth hour, it fell through. Um, there's a whole other story there for yep. another time. <laughs> yeah. But it just ended up not working out and mm. we had no place to meet. 
And uh, it was a scary place to be, but we were just praying and trusting that God was going to provide something for us. And you're us. the guy at the helm, too, right? You're like, okay, here's our plan. And they're like, hey, never mind. You're like, well, yeah. haven't even planted yet. We can do it. We can do it. You're leading the uh, charge. Well, maybe, maybe not exactly <laughs> can, that, but something similar. We'll Trust me, guys, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Um, yeah, no, it was a scary moment. And, I'm and sure. We didn't know what we were going to do, but truthfully, just really trusting because God had just flung open every single door right in front of us as mm. we've taken a step. You know, it was like He just affirming and affirming and affirming and affirming. And so we had no reason to expect God to be any different with right. this challenge. Right. And so, uh, actually, just sort of befriended some of the church, the pastors in the community. And there's a church basically across the street from the school where we were going to meet. That's crazy. And wanted just to develop a relationship with the pastor there. I didn't want it to be a competitive thing. This is a kingdom thing. Mm. We want all the churches in our community of Downers Grove to flourish and yeah. to become all that God wants for them to be. And we want to help facilitate that and yeah. be a part of that. And we didn't want it to be like us against them or a weirdness between us. So just in a relationship with him, in a conversation, told him what happened. And he immediately said, hey, you, you got to use our church. And ever since then, we've been partnered with our friends at Gloria Day Lutheran Church and uh, been meeting in, in their church. And they've been great hosts to us, great friends to us. And I think it's really been a model of two churches who are very different in their style. I mean, right. we couldn't be more different in our expression, but our hearts are the same. Love that. And we really want to reach and share the love of Jesus with our community. And we can do it together. We don't have to fight. What a legend, though, that like it sounds like every time I've heard you tell the story, he didn't skip a beat. He's like, well, then you'll meet here. Yeah, yeah. Tim uh, Robertson, he's a great, great guy, great pastor. I just really love him. And That's remarkable. It's, uh, and it wasn't just Tim. You know, it's his whole community right. has to get behind that. That's a decision they made together. Uh, but obviously, Tim, as their leader, it's really been an amazing partnership and friendship. So he, here's what I'm curious about. So you planted a year and some change. Is yep. that right? Yep, just over a year now. What would you say to Ted 18 months ago with what you know now based on the ups and downs, the things that have surprised you, things that caught you off guard. Like you went in, I mean, you were a part of community for almost a year before yeah. launching, right? So yep. plenty of time to like build a team and pour into them, yep. kind of get your ducks in a row, raise some funds. But you also, I think, you think strategically in general, yeah. just sort of naturally. I think that's definitely one of your, your giftedness. What would you say to Ted a year and a half ago with what you know now? Hmm. That is a really good question. And I think my answer to that would have nothing to do with strategy. <laughs> my answer to that would be much more tied into my pursuit of God That's good. as opposed to my pursuit of strategy or pursuit mm. of starting a church. I don't think I, I actually, I feel like that was one of the richest times of my walk with God. But as I've grown in my faith and continue to grow in my faith, I've just learned more about who God is through his continued faithfulness and some of the trials that yeah. are inherent in starting something new, right. starting a new community, leaving our previous community, which was wonderful, starting over, selling our house, moving our kids out of their schools, into new schools, all new yes. friendships. There's a lot of fear, risk, apparent risk, and God just showing and proving his faithfulness in that mm -hmm. time and time again. And it has so deepened my faith and my walk with God. I, I, I don't know that words, like if I could speak that into me 18 months ago, mm. but I wish I could go back and tell some of the stories of the future faithfulness. Yeah. And just be like, that's what's in front of you. That's so good. So just, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be carrying the weight of that. 
you can just trust that God's good and, and he's going to look out for you. All right. That's a perfect segue because what I want to talk to you next is about not only some of that pursuit, but some of the rhythms that I think you do a great job of establishing to kind of guard your, your family time, your rest time, your Sabbath time. You and I both know men and women who tried to plant and it just imploded or burnt them out. Yeah. Many of which tragically walked away entirely. Like how, yeah. how do you establish things to maintain kind of not only keeping God out in front, but front and center yeah. in all that you do. And so that's, that's what we're going to talk about coming up next with Ted Canaris, community pastor of our Downers Grove location. You can learn more at communitychristian.org slash Downers Grove or on Facebook at Community Christian Church Downers Grove on Instagram, Community DGR. And we're going to keep kind of talking about this journey of church planning here in the Chicago suburbs. Great. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Not Brian Fromm. I'm going to call you Not Brian Fromm from now on, is that okay? Thank you, yes. It's an important <laughs> distinction that I think we need to get right. People are like, what's his name? Like, it's Not Brian Fromm, that's yeah. that's for sure. We know that. If you want to find us, you can find us at uh, Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. But that other sweet, sultry voice you're hearing right now, friends, <laughs> is my friend, Ted Canaris, community pastor of our Downers Grove location, lover of things hunted. Is that, a, uh, is that a weird way to say that? It's an incredibly <laughs> weird. Yes, it is. How would you say that? How would you have said <laughs> Lover it? Lover of better? nature. I love nature. Yeah, nature. That's so much better. Yeah, Things love, hunted? <laughs> I don't know. I'm really sorry about yeah, that. I'm intimidated okay. again by your beard, and no. I think it's leading me down a dangerous path. <laughs> <laughs> Both mentally and emotionally. I got to really, I got to pull it together. All right. So if you're just joining us, here's the story. Um, Ted is not only just a good friend, but he's also, I just think, an incredible pastor and leader and launched our Downers Grove location uh, about a year and a half ago. And uh, one of the things that I appreciate about you, Ted, not just your sense of humor and all that, but I think you have an incredible capacity to bring out the best in people, to raise up leaders and to create this sort of magnetism where like even when you were developing your launch team at the Yellow Box, poking in and seeing how excited people were. Like, I want to be a part of what that guy's doing. Like there really was a, and I know that you'll give credit to God and the Holy spirit and all of that, but there, I really think you've been wired where whatever it is that you're passionate about people are like, yeah, I don't even need to know what that is. I want to be on his team, which, which has led to, I think um, some great impact in Donner's Grove, but also some great impact uh, for community Christian church as a whole. Mm-hmm. But I also know that sometimes the the underbelly of of being a great strategist and someone with a lot of capacity and a lot of adrenaline can be this like work life balance like how do you create yeah. rhythms where you're like okay I'm with my family now or mm-hmm. I need to schedule a vacation or it won't happen I'm really curious how do you approach balance in general and like what are maybe some ways that we can encourage others to to kind of pursue the same thing yeah no that's a that's a great question and I have to remind myself, and so does my team, that intensity is not a spiritual gift. Right. <laughs> as as much as I wish it were. Yeah, right. You know, intensity is not a spiritual <laughs> gift. And so that push, that drive can can really burn out. Yep, right. And that's something I think I've been really aware of hmm. um, in my own heart. Like my natural inclination is going to be to run that race hard. Totally. And to burn myself out. Um, but thankfully, I've just had such wise counsel throughout my entire ministry life, mm. just by the grace of God, people speaking into me very early on, actually before I married my wife, Melissa, before I entered into full-time ministry, I was out in Baltimore. It's where my wife is from. And I was talking with a pastor out there that I really respected. Mm. Some of you may have heard of Pat Goodman, um, amazing guy, amazing leader, amazing pastor. Mm. And I j- asked him this very question, like, Hey, how, how do you get balance 
in life and ministry and family because he had such a great family. I just admired that about him. Yeah. And uh, he, I'll never forget what he told me. He said, you know, Ted, one of the things I would tell you is just never aim for balance. Really? Yeah. He said balance is, is, is a myth. Hmm. Because when the fulcrum, you know, where balance works, right? The mm-hmm. fulcrum's in the middle and you're right. trying to balance the two sides. The fulcrum is always shifting in ministry. You have like busy seasons, high seasons, down seasons, and an emergency comes up and all of a sudden the fulcrum shifts. Hmm. So you can never have balance. It's not like a target you can hit and say, hey, I now have a balanced life. Right. I've achieved it. I've arrived. Exactly. It's just, hmm. it's a myth. But he said, what you can achieve is health. Oh, that's good. And so instead of thinking balance, like how do I have this many hours of this or this many hours of this or right. whatever it might look, however it might look for you, instead target health. How can mm. you be a healthy person? How can your ministry be healthy? How can your family be healthy? Mm. And whatever you need to be doing to pursue health is how you can avoid that kind of burnout or just being overly intense and overly driven right. about things. That's really, I had a mentor say something very similar, actually. I was asking about balance. He said, there is no balance, only rhythms. Yeah. Rhythms was the word that he used in it. And like, and he was using kind of musical language, like rhythms will kind of come and go based on the composition. And I would love to know for you, how do you differentiate between a season and a pattern? Yeah. Like I, I remember uh, early ministry, my little sister back in Detroit, had called and I was like, can I, this week's really crazy. Can we talk next week? And she said, she was like eight. She goes, you say every week is a crazy week. <laughs> and I like, it kind of cut me to the core. I was like, yeah. I do, don't I? Like I make this excuse that, yeah, ah, it's just intense right now, but around the corner, yeah, then I'm going to start prioritizing the right thing. How do you keep from like falling into that trap and pursuing like health, even in the midst of yeah. chaos or intensity? That That is a great question. Thanks. And I don't think that there is a, something I can do Mm. to avoid that. I think your story is a perfect example of how to avoid that. And that's community, right? (laughs) People who know you well and people who are close enough to you Mm. where they can like see something's wrong. Right. Or they can say, Hey, this is a pattern. This isn't a season. Right. Like your eight year old sister was able to do that. Totally. And I think it's easy when you're a leader, you're dealing with so many people Mm. that any one of those interactions can look healthy to somebody else. Oh, right. Good point. You know, but when you're going deep with a few, which I think is a part of a healthy relational life, yes, those people are always going to be close enough to you to be able to say, hey, you know what? You've shared this a few times, and I think maybe you've got some work to do here. Yeah, right. I remember having a mentor say to me, you need to find people who love you who aren't cowards. <laughs> because if they only have one of yeah. those, like if they love you, but maybe they don't have the courage to tell you that you have spinach in your teeth Yeah, yeah. or the other side, people that'll always call you on your garbage. Yeah. But if you have no sense that they love you. Yeah. Or just an eight year old who has no filter, <laughs> which works great for you. Well, I imagine yeah. having kids has been part of like, you ever had your kids say something to you and you're like, that is the most convicting thing I've heard all day, even though it's from the mouth of a kid. Yeah. No, I haven't had that from the kids quite yet, but I have had plenty of those moments. Really? Yeah. From friends and, you know, mm. other pastors. Um, I, I don't know if you, you guys do talk about the Enneagram yeah. on here. It's oh, something yeah. that's really kind of helped me understand mm. how I operate. And I'm an eight on the Enneagram. I'm shocked. And, I know you must be. <laughs> and uh, one of the important things for an eight is to be intentional about vulnerability. Oh, interesting. And so I am always, I'm very committed to being vulnerable and to maybe putting more time in my schedule to mm. be vulnerable than somebody who's not an eight. Right. Might not need as much as I need. Like even like actually schedule it. Like, okay, I need oh, yeah. 40 minutes this week or uh, not so much that, but it's more like 
making time for those relationships. Oh, got it. Where vulnerability is sort of where we start. And do you not feel like you're naturally vulnerable then? Um, I think I, I don't know about naturally. Really? But I think I am now. I think I've become a vulnerable person. Really? Because of these rhythms and, and habits. Um, not, not always, but, uh, but yeah, I, I do think I'm a vulnerable person. And it's something you can grow into and actually get better at, like a, like a skill. I think so. I think so. And it's a huge part for me about being a healthy person right. is making sure that I am vulnerable. That's really good. And so my wife, Melissa, is not an eight. Uh, she's amazing. She's the best. And uh, she has helped good man, me. Good man. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she has helped me so much in mm. this area of vulnerability because she loves to go deep. And I love to like go hard and fast, like a bunch of people. Mm. And she just loves, she's a relater. My wife's the same way. And she just won't, she can't have that. It just doesn't fill up her tank. Mm. I can't relate to her that way. And I don't want to relate to her that way. Right. Uh, But it's just sort of my natural inclination. But she has just helped shape that in me so much and helped me establish healthy relational patterns because- It's, it's demanded in our relationship, not in like a negative sense, right? but you know, but she's calling it out though in this way that you're having, you're interacting with it on a regular basis. Even before we got married, she called that out and did she, oh yeah. And she really helped me from the beginning of our marriage build on a foundation of vulnerability and authenticity that has just, I mean, no offense to anybody else out there, but we have the best marriage. I mean. On planet I take Earth. offense. Huge offense. <laughs> on planet Earth. I've never been so furious. Katie seems my, great, but... You know, seems great. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I, uh, I challenge you to a spouse off. I don't know Let's what that... Let's do it. That's I don't know what that would look like. <laughs> Come on. See, this is what I love about you, though. I asked a question about like strategy and leadership, and, and we ended on vulnerability, and I think that that on, just shows a, a depth of wisdom and experience that you know there are times to run really fast after these things and to, to call your team to intensify like, Hey, I need you to really be present. And also to say, and we, we need to really grow in this area of vulnerability. Yeah. I think that I'm just really grateful for your friendship and your oh, wisdom in that regard. I think too, it's, bud. I think it's huge. Uh, coming up next though, you guys are taking part in an event this Sunday in Donner's Grove called Grove Fest. And uh, I'm really, really curious to learn more about that with pastor Ted Canaris here on the <laughs> common good on a 1160 hope for your life. Everyone, welcome back to that searing introduction. <laughs> Holy cow. I really like the guitar solo. Do you? you? Yeah. Thanks, thanks for great. flashing the longhorns. I know people can't see it, but I want people to know <laughs> Ted, Ted is happening. here for this. It's uh, welcome back to The Common Good Friends. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is in California, or so he says. I'll believe it when I see it. But uh, in that seat right now is actually someone who knows Brian from. Yes. I don't think we talked about that at all because you guys are both no. in the Downers Grove area. Yeah. What do you want to know? I know all yeah, the Yeah. Give me the dirt on Brian from. Yeah. He's just a really good guy. Oh, uh, that's boring. Yeah. Well, sorry. That's all I got for you. <laughs> you don't seem yeah. all that sorry. Yeah. No, I'm not sorry. Do you guys interact love actually? sweatshirts. Because the other day, he does that. love sweats. So yep. Bill check of him. Yeah. But we, totally. my wife and I actually went out to eat in Donner's Grove and we saw both him and you yeah. that night. And I was like, is this how Donner's Grove is? Everyone just hangs out downtown together all the time? It's a very communal society. Is it actually? Or are it you is. being facetious? No, actually it is. It's a very, See, very this is, this <laughs> it's <is>. tight knit. <laughs> Thank you for that. But no, it's a tight knit community. It really is. Well, that's okay. That's actually, weirdly, a pretty good segue because uh, this... Sunday is what's called Grove Fest. Yep. 
Brilliant name. You came up with it, I'm assuming. Uh, absolutely not. I want to give you all the credit for yeah, it. Growfest. Yeah. If you like it, yes. Ted Canaris. <laughs> but you guys, last year was your first year doing it, right? Yep. They actually gave you space on one of the stages yep. to, to have like a church service at the festival, right? Yeah, absolutely. So Growfest is the biggest event in our community. It's it is? about 100,000 plus people. Holy come God, to Downers Grove. There's live music every night. There's a big beer garden. There's carnival for the kids. Jeez. It's it's a huge event. Our whole downtown is shut for four four days. Wow. And our our local business leaders put it on, and it's it's just been awesome. Um, but uh, last year, just through God's providence, hmm. just connected us with a guy in the community who helps lead the Rotary and uh, become a good friend, and just asked if we would ever be interested in being a part of Growfest, and of course we would, and one thing led to another, and then we ended up doing church on the main stage <laughs> on Sunday that. morning That's during amazing. this big like communi- community beer music festival, and uh, we do church, and we're doing it again this year. It's going to be awesome. So what are the specifics then? Because I didn't really realize until I saw photos, like, oh, it's in the center of the festival. Yeah. So, like, are people, are they wandering up with beers? They're like, oh, church is going. I mean, I guess it's in the Probably. morning. Is it, you know, 10 a.m.? <laughs> so if they do, we're really glad you're there. Yeah, right. Okay? This is a perfect place for them. Um, no, there's not. The beer garden's closed that okay. time of day. It really gets pretty rowdy in the evenings. Right. But in the mornings, you know, there's other things going on right after us. There's other shows happening on the main stage. And it's just a great way to do church and to be church right. in the community. Yeah. Sometimes as churches, you get so like locked up in your building. Right. And every Sunday you do this great celebration, celebrating God and how good he is and this community. Right. But people who aren't going to come into that space never get to experience it. And so we try to create these rhythms in our community hmm. where we just look for opportunities really to do church with the community in the community and it's a risk, you know, it might yeah. rain on yeah. Sunday right. and we're out of luck, but it's really worth it to us. And and we're just so excited. Last year we had just a great response. A that's ton of awesome. people come check it out and it's been really fun. So what, just a, as a reminder, that's at 10 a.m.? Yeah, 10 a.m. downtown Downers Grove. Uh, if you're in the area, come check it out. It's going to be a lot of fun. We've got some special music planned, coffee and donuts for everybody for free. And that's it's awesome. just going to be a huge party. So come join the party. So you'd mentioned that this this isn't just at Growfest. This is sort of like an ethos for the location as a whole. Is in, yeah. You guys have been talking since the onset, love where you live, right? Yep. What, what are some of the other ways that you've loved your neighborhood, loved your community well? What have you learned? Because I feel like you guys are... You're doing it really well, and it's something that you know Brian and I, because we're pastors, it's a question that we get a lot. Um, how do I love my community? How do I how do I love my neighbor? I, you know, a lot of times people feel skittish or they don't feel like they have all the right answers. And uh, I'd love for you to just tell a story or two of how you've done that well in the Donners Grove area. For sure, I think in in almost every community, you know, there's there's pride in that community and people right. who do love living there. And uh, that's a that's a wonderful thing, you know, mm. for people to be invested in their community. And I think it started with us recognizing that there was already tons of people who were deeply invested in our community. Right. And we just kind of came into this community as newcomers and just saying, hey, we see that. We love that. And we just want to put gas on that fire. Mm. And we want to teach everybody and welcome everybody into this kind of loving where you live lifestyle. Yes. And so for us, it started just very simply. We threw love where you live parties in our neighborhood. And so literally when we moved in, my wife and I just like walked up and down our entire street and just trying to get a hold of anybody knocking on doors. People wouldn't answer. We'd put an invitation in their box mm. and we just throw block parties. And we threw multiple. Like, yeah. We threw like three block parties last year. Wow. Our first summer there. And it was awesome. We had tons of people come out just connecting. 
And people love to connect with their neighbors. And it's just been a really great thing. So this year we're expanding that. Last year we did a bunch of parties all over the community, different people from our church just throwing parties. There's no like bait and switch. Right. It's really simple. It's like, hey, we want to help people make meaningful connections with their neighbors. We want to serve and love this community. One of the ways we do that is just by providing context for relationship. Mm. You know, we're such an isolated and lonely culture. And here's just an opportunity for us to get to know each other past like the garage door opening and closing, you know, every week. Yeah, no kidding. So it's been awesome. So we do these Love Where You Live parties all summer. We got a bunch more planned this year. And uh, we're just really intentional about casting that vision of loving where you live. And um, we a new book just came out with that same title. Wish I had written it first. But Shana, <laughs> Shana Pilgreen wrote it. Great book. I highly recommend it called Love Where You Live. And then um, also another resource I'd love to recommend to people who are interested in just being a force for good in their neighborhood and loving their community and their neighbors. It's called Bless Every Home, blesseveryhome.com. And uh, basically you type in your address and it will send you an email every single morning. That's just a list of some of your neighbor's names and a prayer. You know, it's all public domain information. Right. You send out a mailer. It's the same info. And so basically I get a list of like six to 10 of my neighbors every morning and a prayer that I pray for them and pray over my neighbors every single day. And we have tons of people in our community doing the same thing. And it's just, it's been so exciting to see what's been happening just in our, even our little micro neighborhood within Downers Grove as a whole and in the area as a whole. We've seen so many people find their way back to God. So many people, just their faith coming to life and looking for opportunities to share that blessing with others. That's so good, man. I'm wondering why you think it's so difficult for people to get there. Like, cause you're a pretty extroverted dude, right? Yeah. So like the wrap it on doors for you, like I can do that. I imagine there are people listening. They're like, I'm never knocking on a stranger's door ever. <laughs> like, like what, what and there's you, some wisdom in that. Yeah, yeah. Let's right, be honest. Right. Let's no, be honest. No, okay. But I'm wondering like, what, <laughs> what are some of the hurdles you think to people, if you're right. And I think you are that we long for this connection and yet we do kind of, continue to isolate and put up taller and taller fences and hang out inside our homes. Like what are some of the hurdles and how are some ways that people like, like that website for people to engage or even like even dip a toe in the water to start to engage a little more fully with the people around them? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the first thing I would say is just take one step. That's good. You know, you know, you, you might not be an extrovert. You might not be wired to throw a big party at your house. It's fine. Uh, not every, some people that's very stressful, super overwhelming, but what's one person, mm. one neighbor, one opportunity that you have to connect with somebody in a meaningful way in your community and then try to build something there and then try to include more people in that. Mm. You know, I think oftentimes people operate like Legos, right? They have so many friends that they can have. Like right. some people are a big Lego they can have like six people on there. Mm. Other people are like the single Lego and they're like, <laughs> I'm just looking for my one. And then I'm like pulling the shoot and checking out of building new relationships because right. I got my one. Right, right, right. The whole point of the Christian life is to be growing deeper with others, but then including new people in that depth and growing in our relational capacity. So and I think loving where you live is just a low-hanging fruit way for us to do that. That's so good, man. That has been my good buddy, Pastor Ted Canaris, Downers Grove. You can find out more at communitychristian.org. Instagram is Community DGR. Facebook, Community Christian Church, Downers Grove. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Thanks, brother. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, 
Uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was, and it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began, because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thank you for joining us today. As always, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, review, and uh, we appreciate it if you do that. Well, Christmas is kind of coming. I told you before <laughs> that, uh, that it was interesting this weekend, there were people in my neighborhood uh, taking advantage of a little bit of the warmer weather to set up their Christmas lights. But I walked by them like, I never even thought about doing that today. And then I don't know, how did you feel today? I don't, obviously, you noticed coming in from the parking garage here towards mm-hmm. the elevators. Mm-hmm. And we were greeted with uh, here at the studio uh, the downstairs at the office building. The big Christmas tree was up. All the wreaths were up. Christmas had exploded it downstairs. Pretty nice. I'm not going to lie. It nice. Because this is our first Christmas here. It is. So I walked in and I was like, well, this is pretty lovely. I was surprised by my reaction. Well, you were. Okay. Because yeah. you're usually a let's hold off on Christmas till Thanksgiving guy. I am. Okay. See, I feel like this is going to be. I am too. Oh, you are. You. Okay. Oh, yeah. This is why I didn't set up my Christmas lights this weekend. <laughs> That's maybe one of many reasons. Yes. But yeah, Thanksgiving, I think it, it does frustrate me, though, because I think, and Christmas obviously means a whole lot more than this, but it's usually marked by a lot of gift giving, a lot of lists. And we jump right over Thanksgiving, yes. which is the holiday designed for us to appreciate what we have. And that's, you know, and a lot of the uh, what this article is going to call the Christmas creep is driven by retailers. Right. Yes. It's, you know, the the heartbeat behind it is consumerism, yeah. which is part of my angst, I think. So, if you know, if you watch TV at all, the Christmas commercials have already begun, oh, which feels really early. As a side note, my kids and I've begun really laughing at these types of commercials. But when did the go to Christmas commercial become Husband and wife give each other cars. Do you know anyone who's been surprised by a car on Christmas morning? I just saw one, yeah, a friend of mine. Really? Yeah, it wasn't a Christmas thing, but okay. like bow on the hood and really? she walked out. I don't out. know anybody. I don't think I did before this. And, and now that you realize it, you, you start to realize how many Christmas commercials on TV are like, oh, yeah, I got my wife a car. Right. We got each other cars. Look at these cars for Christmas. Which maybe I'm too much of a Scrooge or a pragmatist, but I'm like, Shouldn't you guys talk about this first? I bought you a $40,000 car. I feel like there should at least be a conversation before this shows up in the driveway. 
Can I? Do you, That'd be my you, reaction. Do you have a gift receipt for that? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> nope, it's ours, baby. Okay, no, well, Merry Christmas. Yeah, those, that's an aside. But the article you referenced <laughs> before at CBS News says this. Christmas music may take a mental toll, psychologist says. It says some people excitedly throw on Christmas music the minute the temperature drops. Others have a hard rule. Wait until after Thanksgiving to start playing Christmas tunes. Amen. And some people just cannot stand Christmas music, especially if played too early into the holiday season. Oh, okay. That seems harsh. Yeah. What's happening? What's going on? Oh, gosh. Is that over the air or is that just in my head? <laughs> What's in your head, Brian? Exactly. <laughs> Uh, we go on to say, for those who would rather do without jingle bells, a psychologist in Great Britain. It's always Great Britain. Put a blanket on things. Never an average Britain. Thanks. I'm <laughs> <laughs> so, so stupid. I'm sorry. Can we also say, though, we're, we're the king of tangents right now? <laughs> yeah, we're somebody not doing well. Lift, somebody at the Lyft conference referred to us as the laughing pastors the other day. I, and then I laughed and she's like, I know that laugh. Uh, I felt so good about that. I don't think I've gotten a better compliment than you guys are the laughing pastors. I'll take it. Uh, clinical psychologist Linda Blair says listening to Christmas music too early into the holiday season may affect mental health by triggering feelings of stress. Hmm. Hearing a Christmas song can spark thoughts of all the things you have to do before the holiday, like shopping, party planning, and traveling. As the clock ticks down to December 25th, you may feel overwhelmed by your to-do list and being constantly reminded by the sign of sleigh, uh, the sound of sleigh bells ringing does not help, Blair says. Uh, what do you think about that? Let's just stop there. That It gets a lot into what you were saying, that we associate with Christmas a, a huge to-do list and a great ball of stress. Uh-huh. She's not saying Christmas music does it to us. She's saying Christmas music uh, lights up in our brain something that says, uh oh, stressful time of the year is coming. I got to get all this stuff done. Stressful time of the year is coming. And she's saying now we're just doing that earlier. So we're, we're bringing on that stress. Yeah, earlier. but to play devil's advocate, that's not the music's fault. If you have a negative association with the season, then that's probably going to do that. And you have a positive association with the season. I think it would have the opposite effect. Mm-hmm. We, we all know, and we've talked about this before on the show multiple times. Music is highly connected to memory. And we've seen that in all clinical study after clinical study, and I think this makes sense that we would have some sort of Pavlonian response yeah. to, uh-oh, I know, but like, you know, I don't know if you guys host people or not. We don't have a lot of hosting responsibilities yet either. for us, so it's always like going somewhere, and there is a, a stress for me in the gift giving. I, I want to do really well in yeah. that, and I rarely do, to be honest, so there is certainly some triggering there, but I think, I don't know, it, to me, it, it, it's less about like whether or not we're stressed by it, and more about keeping it in its proper place. Yeah. It's it's about the thing that we skip over. And I think it goes on to say people who work at malls actually face a higher risk of Christmas music induced stress. Hearing the same song over and over again could make workers struggle to tune it out and they become unable to focus on anything. Uh, you're simply spending all your energy trying to not hear what you're hearing. In what is known as the Christmas creep, it seems like the holiday season starts earlier and earlier at U.S. retailers. Some stores even start putting out their Christmas decorations and playing holiday music in October. So there is, to me, it's more about it's more about the chronology yes. of when it's being played and less about what it... Because, I, I mean, honestly, and I don't know if you know much about um, the Blue Christmas movement. I do not. I actually saw that reference the other day, and I thought to myself, I don't know what that is. Yeah, it's... It's an intentional effort um, mainly by churches to be more mindful of how uh, heartbreaking the holiday season can be for people, especially mm. those who have lost loved ones, because in a much more intense way, 
the season is this like visceral reminder that someone's not there, you yeah. know, because it's about family togetherness. And so I, I think that's a whole other kind of tier and category of like, how do we better come alongside people that the moment they start hearing this music, they're reminded that they lost a spouse or yeah. a kid or whatever that is. Um, and again, I know I realize that's it's not the responsibility of the entire culture, but there, there are associations with these things. And I think, uh, it's worth thinking that through, that's good. but I, you know, you and I probably both just get labeled Scrooges. For, <laughs> you know, that's kind of that. <laughs> I do too. I'm, that's the thing. I'm pro Christmas. Same, uh, pastorally or just as somebody who doesn't want to be completely stressed out, what is one or two pieces of advice you'd give to people? Because I think what this article is really getting at is, uh, our culture, uh, causes Christmas to be a really stressful time. Yeah. Family, presents, to-do lists, all this stuff. And it's the music just kind of gets you into that a little bit. It's not like you said, it's nothing about the music. But if we're going to swim a little counterculturally here, how can we uh, not succumb to Christmas just at get, getting to the end of Christmas and just being like, oh, glad that's over and, yeah. and feeling just totally drained? I, if I could make one recommendation, yeah, it's to go do. to adventconspiracy.org. Have you guys done Advent Conspiracy? No, I've heard about it. Oh, it is phenomenal. And it's, it's, you know, there's, if you're a pastor or if you're a part of a church, there's like sermon materials and there's videos and there's websites, but it's sort of a, it's a four week, um, idea and the categories are worship fully spend less give more love all and then it gives really practical tools and resources and it gives a lot of stats about waste and how much we spend globally like it's a pretty sobering if you spend 20 minutes on this website you'll at the the very least be intrigued if not convicted Um, but the nice thing is it points you to people that are doing stuff holistically or fair trade or um, even ideas. You know, I've heard people say, oh, I always give our kids something to wear, something to read and something to experience. Yes. Like that's their rubric. And I think a lot of people got some of those ideas from websites like this. Um, But it does a good job, though, because, you know, we talked about this a a good deal. You know, Christmas doesn't start in October, but it also doesn't end on December 25th. And that's what I, oh, what's going on over there? I just clicked on Advent (laughs) Conspiracy on Cape Christmas Carol. Sorry. That's the second uh, music piece that we've had. (laughs) Did you see me like, jump up? (laughs) So, yeah, that's, I would would encourage people to visit Advent Conspiracy. Yeah, I'm on it right now. It looks fascinating. It's really good. And you get good Christmas music when you turn it on, apparently. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Adventconspiracy.org. I would, I think you, you bring up a great point of uh, let's just not succumb to all of the crazy stress and pressures of Christmas. That feels backwards to what it's supposed to be. And yeah. so be thinking about it now. And then you can enjoy the Christmas music even <laughs> when it's played early. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, you can find our podcast wherever it is you find your podcast. You can find old shows also at 1160hope.com. Uh, we are grateful that you choose to join us on whatever venue you do. And uh, we'd love to hear your feedback, whether it be on Facebook, at Twitter, uh, at other places. Well, uh, found a blog. You found a blog. Uh by somebody by the name of Ali Casaza. Uh, and you and I, both with kids of different ages, I think, found this somewhat interesting. It's called Why I Let My Kids Feel the Weight of the World. Let me highlight a couple parts of it uh, and then let you react. She tells the story of her son uh, being really little, asking, can I be a guitar player when I grow up? And she said, I answered yes and watched his eyes light up as he gazed out the window. But then I said this, 
You can be whatever you want when you grow up, and you should do what makes you feel the most alive, but find a way to change the world with it, because that is your responsibility. And then she goes through uh, about how it's his responsibility. Uh, And she said, I thought of the Jonathan Edwards quote I had read once, Lord stamp eternity on my eyeballs that what we do on this earth should last for eternity. Otherwise it's pointless. Uh, It's why purpose she says is her favorite word. I want my kids to know that they have a purpose and what they do will last for eternity. They have a legacy to leave behind and I expect them to rise to that occasion. So then she begins to explain herself. She says, some might say they're just children. Let them be little or that I'm being too hard on them. I disagree. I'm letting them be little. I'm pretty big on that, but letting them in on their purpose doesn't make them grow up. It sets the stage for a small person to grow into a big person who knows exactly why they're here. And that's what I want for them to know exactly why they're here, that they matter and that they play a crucial role in changing the world in the kingdom of God. I want to put the weight of the world on their shoulders because that's where it is, whether they know it or not. The future generation is the shape the world will take when we are no longer here. I'd be doing them as well as society a huge disservice to shield them from their responsibility. She writes, I don't want my children to be selfish adults. I don't want them thinking that life is about them or even that it's about their happiness. I believe that's a big misunderstanding in the world. The responsibility, she writes, of changing the world gives kids an automatic purpose and young adults need purpose. When they've been infused with it from a young age, they are less likely to doubt it or be unsure of themselves. They will have been taught that life isn't about them. It's about using your passion and your talents to make the world kinder, better, brighter. Life is about being Jesus to people. What do you think about uh, kind of her strategy of what she's saying about parenting here? You know, I'm a little torn on this one, to be honest, because I find myself at some parts wanting to say amen and other parts saying, I don't I don't know that I would go that route. And here's why I before, say that. Before you say that, can I tell you that as I was reading this and read it before, I went, I'm really torn on this. Oh. So we're together. Look I would like to hear. Go Twin, ahead. Twinsies. Go ahead. Um, so one of the things that I find kind of laced throughout this is this subtle connection between their value and the role they play in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really dangerous. Mm. I think, and I don't know that she would even agree with this, but in, in oh. her writing, you know, she said, and that's what I want for them to know exactly why they're here, that they matter and that they play a crucial role in changing the world in the kingdom of God. I think all of those things are true, but kids don't matter because they play a crucial yeah. role because they're going to change the world. And I think to get that order out of whack can create some really dysfunctional Christianity, some very dysfunctional adults, uh, many of whom we know or have even been ourselves that see our identity inextricably tied to the sum of our accomplishments. Yeah. Unpack uh, the dysfunctional. What What is some of the fruit of that? I 100% agree with you. Unpack that. A I think bit some of the fruit of it is uh, an inability to rest, an inability mm-hmm. to see your identity as separate from what you can do or accomplish in the world. Mm-hmm. I know that if you take that sometimes to its logical end, people fear that it'll just create lazy adults, which is kind of part of what she's railing against. And I'm saying all of this as kind of a hypocrite because I, I just saw this on my uh, Facebook feed from a year and a half ago. And I posted something about the first time that I held my son, I whispered in his ear, you're going to change the world. And I hope to never stop whispering hope and courage into the ears of my children. So that I get all of the sentiment that she's writing here that I want to sort of like, what was the Jonathan Edwards stamp eternity on their eyeballs. I want them to think, eternally in that regard i also want to be very very careful though to not 
draw this one-to-one line that you are valuable because you do mm. things or because you accomplish things because the opposite then can very easily be inferred because I failed at this then I lack value or yep. my value is diminished. And I want yep. to make very, very certain that my children never, ever make that confused. And I can't control that. Like I'm sure other voices and other infrastructures are going to speak into that. But uh, I do like the sentiment, though, that says, I mean, later in the article, she's even talking about asking them what their dreams are and then saying, OK, how are we going to use that to change the world? Yep. I like the idea of like thinking through the lens of. Don't don't just think of a talent or an interest and then, you know, letting that terminate on yourself. Like, all right, how are you going to use that passion? How you can use that gift to impact the world, to change the people around you? Um, but I do think sometimes we can create a sort of like commencement speech reality for our kids where mm. if it's not changing the world, yeah. then it doesn't really matter. I think so much of the gospel is lived out in the ordinary and yeah. the common and the everyday spaces that we occupy. And when we only teach our kids to shoot for the stars, reach for your dreams. Yeah. We miss all sort of like the the sacred ordinary around us, and I think that can create some very dichotomous living too. That's really good, man. I I feel like one of the things that stood out to me. I, I like the premise in general of what she's saying here. Uh, the the line that stood out to me, and because I've been, uh, it's something I've really wrestled with. I preached more sermons where one of the takeaways was go change the world. Like mm, interesting, and I I began to feel like that was not helpful. Uh, and so it was just a matter of language for me. It became, you just use the language. You said, make an impact, change your world, yeah, <laughs> change, right, right. be Jesus to the people around you. Because I felt like, uh, and to set that up for our kids to be like, your goal is to go, some kids might change the world, but for the vast majority of us, we're called exactly what you said to go be Jesus in the day-to-day activities of exactly what she said. You know, playing the guitar in a band or being a plumber or whatever else, being everyday missionaries. And uh, but I do like that she is looking to take her kids from an early age, take their focus off of themselves uh, and not shield them from anything that the world might, might might bring their way. And also not kind of placate them like, oh, it's all about you. It's all about you. But she's from an early age trying to say hey, the world is bigger than you. Like there, there's people in need. You're, you have a mission that we don't probably talk to our kids about until they're young adults or yeah. uh, they, they got to get, uh, oftentimes as kids, they get the message, everything's about you. Right. And then they hit a certain age and you go, oh, it's not actually all about you. And she's saying, let's plant those seeds at a much earlier age. Which I, again, I really appreciate. I think, yeah. you know, I think it's in Ecclesiastes where he says he's, he's planted eternity in the hearts of everyone. Yeah. Like that is, there is something to that. The other thing that I've recently begun to really struggle with, uh, and it's a sentiment I'm sure both you and I have said from the pulpit, is to be Jesus to people. Mm. I think sometimes the subtle narrative there is that I can't ever be broken or I can't ever struggle because I, I got to be Jesus to yeah, people. So I can't admit that I'm struggling in my marriage, I'm struggling in my finances, or I'm unhappy with my job or you know any of those things. Yep, yep. And again, I don't think anyone saying be Jesus to people would say those things. I just think, man, this is sort of our theme for today. Words matter. Words matter. And what we say, and, and maybe even more importantly, what we don't say with, with our kids, with our churches, with our families, uh, has an impact, I think, on how people develop. And to create categories, it says, um, even Jesus wept. Right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe we still say, be Jesus to people, but don't forget, Jesus was fully present, uh, fully able to experience a spectrum of emotions and sorrow and sadness. Like, yeah. being Jesus to people doesn't mean being this hyper stoic, never let him see a sweat sort of religious figure. It's, it's weeping with those who weep. It's rejoicing with those who rejoice and everything in between. And that's 
I think maybe, you know, uh, illustrating a more holistic image of what being yep. Jesus to people looks like actually maybe is more helpful. Oh, that's really good. Is there another phrase that comes to mind for you? I'm putting you on the spot. It, no, I like the phrase. You, I just uh, think you it, packed it well there. I, just, I think the, I, I like the phrase. I really do. Um, but I, I don't know that I would necessarily even word it differently. I would just want to make sure that I'm, I'm becoming less and less impressed by like pithy truisms and bumper sticker statements because they rhyme, even though I probably use them every Sunday. Like I, but in a sermon context, you have space to unpack it. Yes. So when you say yes. hands and feet of Jesus to someone, I mean, for example, someone who's never been to church, like what is he yeah, talking? And then yeah, we're going to yeah. eat his flesh and drink his blood later. Like yeah. this is a vampire church. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> we just have to be careful. I think about making sure that we unpack sentiments and terminology that to those of us who grew up in the church seem really obvious um, I think we're seeing more and more that those things do require context. I yeah. think that's, that's helpful. I think the, the point of the show today is words matter. It's uh-huh. kind of the common theme here. One more word in there that I don't know. It has great meaning, but, but it's been so overused in our, in our evangelical world that it's still kind of bristle. That's the word purpose. Yeah. I right. Kind of. Ah. Oh, uh, really? I do. Let's talk about that some Nothing, other time. Not, and it's not that the word is bad. It's just how much we use it of vision and purpose and this and that, but what's the glorification of yeah, it? Yeah. 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 But no, that's good. We'd encourage you to, we'll, we'll post this or maybe we already have, uh, we'll post this and you can read this blog. We would love your feedback on it at the common good radio show on Facebook. Roy, you're listening to the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Soraya Lewis is a food for the poor employee in our Haitian office in Port-au-Prince. Soraya, there's not a lot of news coverage about what's happening in Haiti at the present moment. Can you give us a firsthand account of what's going on, what the situation is? What's going on right now is that there's just a lot of turmoil and it's affected the lives of Haitians everywhere around the country. There's a food shortage, a lot of insecurity. And it's just very chaotic to live in Haiti right now. Life for the average Haitian family has been just uncertain because waking up on a daily and not knowing if you're going to be able to put food on the table is just the worst feeling. And it's it's constant uncertainty because we don't know when things are going to get better. We don't really know where to turn to just have more peace of mind. So extreme uh, lack of food because of the drought, crops aren't growing, livestock is dying, food prices just unreachable. Most people can't afford to feed their family. I know the water situation is also a huge concern. Talk a little bit about that. About a month ago, I was in Cognillon, where Food for the Poor intervened rapidly because there was a water crisis there. It was painful to watch, really. People just lining up the entire day, just waiting to find water. What they did was they had water trucks um, responding to the emergency. So the truck would go by through the city the entire day and stop at various points to distribute water. But it just felt like their lives just revolved around the idea of being able to find water. That's, that's all they did. That's not normal. It was like nothing I've seen before. Again, that translates what a lot of Haitian families are going through, not just about water, but also about food, also about basic health, just not being able to go to a hospital because hospitals are closed, because doctors are not getting paid, and they refuse to go in because they're not able to support their families themselves. People are waking up every day and not being able to meet their basic needs. 
Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. And uh, we are excited again to be joined by Todd Chapman. Todd is uh, from Food for the Poor. And that story you heard there was trying to paint the picture of the humanitarian crisis uh, going on in the nation of Haiti. So first of all, Todd, thank you so much for uh, joining us again today. Hey, thanks, guys. Always love to be with you. Absolutely. Uh, that was just powerful to hear. Can you talk about what Food for the Poor, especially for those who haven't heard uh, heard us talk about it yet, uh, what is Food for the Poor doing? What is the opportunity that people have to make a difference in the nation of Haiti? Yeah, sure. So, uh, first of all, a little uh, background on Food for the Poor, uh, because I never want to assume that uh, any of our listeners have heard of Food for the Poor, even though we are one of the largest international relief and development organizations in the United States, right. uh, 38 years old. Uh, and uh, have been in, in Haiti, actually, for more than 30 years, working hand-in-hand with the local church. But a lot of people haven't heard from uh, Food for the Poor and don't really realize the scope of all the work that God does through Food for the Poor, frankly, because we just don't spend a lot of money, uh, you know, advertising uh, across the country. Instead, we choose to give that money to the poor uh, and make a, a difference in the developing world. And so maybe you've never heard of Food for the Poor, although I'm pretty confident if you've listened to uh, 1160 Hope for any length of time, uh, over the last few years, you've probably from time to time uh, heard about or maybe even been a part of our, our many partnerships uh, with uh, with the station. And uh, but basically, food for the poor are our, our, our foundational verses. Matthew twenty five, uh, thirty four, where, where basically Jesus said, you know, when you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And uh, so, uh, you know, for 38 years now, we have just partnered with. Uh, the church in countries like Haiti and Guatemala, about 18 countries around the world now. And uh, we have uh, just sought to minister to the abject poor, people that are trying to survive in some of the poorest countries in the world. And they're trying to live on maybe a dollar, two dollars a day. And uh, the only way that uh, we've actually been able to to make a difference is is just because of the generosity of people like our listeners, people like you that have, uh, you know, you hear about the need and you choose to give a gift of uh, $100 or $200 or $500 or $27 a month, whatever God lays on your heart. And uh, with your generous gifts, we're able to work with local churches, local pastors, and turn your gifts into food, into clean, safe drinking water. We've built uh, thousands, actually hundreds of thousands of homes uh, across 38 years, uh, which is another huge need uh, in the, in these countries. And, you know, in short, this is an opportunity for you to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And in this case, guys, in Haiti, which is the poorest country in this side of the world and going through a really, really hard time right now with uh, this food crisis. All right. So the number to call right now is 855-901-4673. That's 855-901-4673. Or you can go to 1160hope.com. Click the Haiti Humanitarian Crisis there at the top. And uh, here's the ask. $320 of one-time gift, which breaks down to about $27 a month, provides food for a year and water for life for one family. Maybe you're thinking... And we can do way more than that. Maybe it's a small group. Maybe it's a business. Maybe it's a couple of families in your block. But we are really, really calling on our common good family uh, to care for these other families. And I'm wondering, in just a couple of minutes, Todd, could you tell us a bit about what it's like to sort of be on the ground to see some of what you're talking about? Yeah, so I've been to Haiti uh, more than a dozen times in my nearly 10 years with Food for the Poor. And it's 
It really is just gut-wrenching poverty. Uh, I, I mean, and I've traveled to a number of uh, third-world countries, but Haiti's uh, worse than anything I've ever seen and, and actually getting worse now than it uh, has over the last been in the last 10 years or so. Uh, as a matter of fact, many experts have said that uh, things in Haiti now are worse than they were in the wake of the, the earthquake of 2010. Oh, wow. That was a bad scene then. But And, you know, it's... Um, it's it's pretty staggering. You as you drive around, uh, whether it be the streets of Port-au-Prince or out into the countryside, you see people uh, desperately doing anything they can to just survive another day. Mm. And so, like in Port-au-Prince in particular, it's this beehive of activity. I mean, it's a city of about four million people, and the streets are just jam-packed with people carrying stuff, and they've got their little roadside stands set up, and they're trying to sell stuff. I mean, everything from baggies of water to fruit to furniture to, uh, you know, uh, little containers of, like, Gatorade-sized containers of gas. I mean, you name it, everybody's got this hustle going on. Mm. But I can't, you know, every time I'm there, I'm just like, man, this is just... An exercise in futility because everybody's working so hard, but nobody's getting ahead. Mm. They're just trying to survive day to day. And then if you go into a home of, uh, you know, just pretty much anybody in that country, because 90 percent of this country of 11 million people literally uh, lives in uh, on less than two dollars a day. And so it's the same story, uh, you know, whether in the city or outside the city. If you go into the, the house of a typical poor person there, um, it's always the same thing. A lot of kids, never enough food. Uh, they live in little ramshackle huts uh, that are not fit for you know human uh, occupation. And oftentimes they're sleeping on the ground or maybe the whole family sleeping on a little mattress. Wow. They never have enough food to eat. Work is nearly impossible to find. And so it is an absolutely desperate situation. And honestly, guys, it's it's hard not to just you know throw up your hands and say, "Well, mm-hmm. this is hopeless." Yeah. You know, what, how, how's this ever going to get any better? But we can't we can't do that, right? We can't do that for a couple reasons. Number one, because we always have hope in Jesus Christ, and uh, you know, absent that, Haiti would be a very very hopeless situation. But uh, across thirty eight uh, years of working in in eighteen countries and thirty of those years in Haiti, we have seen a difference. Uh, that you can make as a donor to food for the poor, uh, one family at a time, one person at a time, and so that's why we're coming to you today and just saying, you know what, don't don't get focused on the big problem. Focus on the difference you can make mm-hmm. for one person, for one mom, for one family. And when you consider the fact that for less than a dollar a day, you can lift a family right now that literally is is in a situation where they're not eating on a daily basis. You can solve that problem for them if you just would see it in your heart to make a commitment of $27 a month. And that's what we're asking you to do mm-hmm. right now. And, guys, I'm really excited because when we started uh, this campaign earlier this month, we had about 30-some families that we had kind of uh, earmarked for the uh, 1160 Hope family. And we're down to 10 families now. So nice. we are almost done with this. And I believe that we could wrap this up in just a, a real short amount of time. It would only take just a few people saying, you know what, I've heard you talking about it. It's a busy time of year. And I'm sorry I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to do it right now. So call 855-901-4673. 
901-4673. We're asking, would you prayerfully consider making a commitment of $27 a month for the next 12 months? And with that, we're going to be able to feed a family, give them clean, safe drinking water for life. Absolutely. You could also go to 1160hope.com. That other voice you hear is Todd Chapman. He is with Food for the Poor. We're going to remain with Todd in our next segment. We're going to talk more about this humanitarian crisis and what we can do about it this Christmas season. That's next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. It's the end of the show now, and the way we always do this is just crazy stories that have come from the minds of our producer, both Keith Conrad and producer John. I'm still trying to make it stick. Producer John. Oh, you mean PJ? PJ, <laughs> yes. Uh, what but- did you call me yesterday? Was it like, was it Buck? Uh, no, you, I believe, used the phrase buck naked, so we called you <laughs> producer buck. <laughs> People are pausing and going to yesterday's podcast right now. Huh? <laughs> what <laughs> happened yesterday? Uh, before we jump into these stories, let me read this for you. There are 52 great date suggestions in the ebook Date Night Ideas <laughs> by Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley, free from Focus on the Family. Just download it now from 1160hope.com, keyword marriage 52 date ideas man right on that's a lot of dates i mean it's the right amount of dates <laughs> one a week all right let's do this what are we doing internet craziness what does that mean it means you turn that over you read it we haven't read these we're going to be insulted if they're insulting are there sound effects probably have we heard them yet most likely no we haven't Simpsons. oh i see what you said <laughs> i see what you did there all right we've not heard them today that's true virginia man wearing tv on head caught on camera leaving old tvs on front porches <laughs> i want to read that again man wearing tv on head caught on camera leaving old tvs on front porches residents living in a virginia neighborhood woke up to find free televisions on the doorsteps sounds like a great gift until you see the older box sets left at the homes He's committed to his trade, said homeowner Jim Brooksbank. No need to adjust that dial. Doorbell surveillance surveillance cameras captured the man. The TV set on his head, laying an older TV set down on someone's front porch and just walking off. He wants to be known as the TV Santa Claus. I don't know. Brooksbank told the WTVR TV. Let us all bask in television's warm, glowing, warming glow. Simpsons, you called it. I called it California. Bernie Sanders pledges to reveal info on aliens if he wins in 2020. Got my vote. Senator Bernie Sanders pledged that as president, he would disclose government information about aliens and unidentified flying objects. Sanders told podcast host Joe Rogan on Tuesday that his wife would, quote, demand he tell people about the mysterious phenomenon. Well, I tell you, my wife would demand I let you know, he told Rogan, who asked whether Sanders would disclose the information. When Rogan asked whether his wife was a UFO nut, he said he, she wasn't, but that she was previously asked him about the information he might have as senator. No, she's not a UFO nut. She goes, Bernie, what is going to go on? Uh, what is going on? Do you know? Do you have any access? All right, we'll announce it on the show. How's that, Sanders said. You can't suppress the truth. The people have a right to know. Roswell. Roswell! That article just read so smooth. It really and it did. Just so readable. It really did. So it's readable. like they wrote it for me. <laughs> uh, all right, out of Africa. South African restaurant only serves food made from insects. Huh? I'm out. Uh, no, thank you. A South African company is promoting sustainable protein alternatives with a pop-up restaurant serving only foods derived from insects. The insect experience, a pop-up 
located at the Good Food Hall in Cape Town, features only menu items that use various edible insects as sources of protein. The pop-up is operated by Gourmet Grub, <laughs> a company <laughs> founded by food scientist Leah Bessa and her partners. The company offers Ento Milk, a milk alternative made from the black soldier fly, as well as dairy-free ice cream made from the milk. Just uh, threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> uh, same, same here. So are you, are you eating some of that stuff, or are you eating the Impossible Burger that we talked about earlier from oh, uh, Burger King? Yeah, give me the Impossible Burger. The impossible Burger, right. I mean, goodbye to my soul. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but hello to my stomach. <laughs> oh, that's good. But hello to my stomach. <laughs> Florida. Alexa, please. He is doing this on purpose, by the way. You always get the floor, doesn't No doubt. (laughs) Alexa, please call a bail bondsman. Oh, gosh. During an argument yesterday, a Florida woman struck her husband in the head with a thrown Amazon Fire TV cube, according to police, (laughs) who arrested her on domestic battery charge. As alleged in a probable cause affidavit, Ashley Mullinow and her husband began arguing Sunday due to Ashley not going to church with him. Uh, that's reason to fight. When Matthew Moulinow, age 34, returned post-services to the couple's Bradenton home, the pair resumed arguing over Ashley hiding his hiding his weed. <laughs> you did not see that one coming, did you? I did not. I he Sight was, unseen, he man. Was the virtuous Sight one. Sight unseen. <laughs> the dispute cops say turned physical when Ashley began throwing items at her husband. While some of the domestic projectiles just broke or spilled through the apartment, two objects hit their mark. An Alexa cube and a metal drinking cup both struck Matthew on his face, leaving him with a cut on his chin and a large knot, uh, knot on his head. They're a fantastic couple. I love them. That one makes that one makes a lot of showings too, doesn't it? All right, last but certainly not least, Canada. Men face charges and thefts of using cooking oil from restaurants. Two men from Quebec, which is a beautiful city, are facing charges related to alleged thefts of used cooking oil from restaurants in eastern Ontario. I have a friend that used to do this. Uh, that's true. Um, really? So they say the, yeah. Well, because people convert their cars to run on veggie oil, gotcha. so it becomes, yeah. Uh, recently received at least two complaints that cooking oil was going missing from disposal bins outside local businesses. The recent arrests in the cases came Monday morning when police responded to a report of suspicious vehicle of a suspicious vehicle outside a restaurant in Embern, Ontario. A 39-year-old from Montreal and a 46-year-old from Laval, Quebec are facing five charges each, including two counts of theft under $5,000. My retirement grease! No! <laughs> that was really good. That one fit. Right on the nose. That was fun. That was good. Well, it's been another good day uh, here on The Common Good. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Hope you join us tomorrow from 4 to 6. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.